Last week, we started a new series in the book of Ruth, following up our series uh, from the book of Jonah. And what we saw last week, we looked at uh, just the beginning of the book of Ruth. And we, we mentioned how, as we go through, we're going to see that throughout this book, there are so many different things that we can learn about relationships in our lives. And if you were here with us back in January, you'll remember we, we talked a little bit about uh, the theme that we've adopted for the year is the theme of stewardship, that we want to be good managers of everything that God has given us. We want to be good stewards of everything that God has given us. And while that does, most people think of money, uh, we also want to talk about how do we steward our relationships? How do we steward our time? How do we steward uh, our possessions? What do we do with all of that? And so our subtitle for this series is Stewarding Relationships. And last week, we, uh, we looked at some interesting things about when life gets hard. We're going to continue that study this morning. Um, how many of you guys watch The Tonight Show with Jay Leno? Anybody watch that show? I'm usually in bed by that time, uh, but there was a, a really big thing that happened this week. This was his last time to host the Tonight Show. Uh, someone else is going to be taken over. And so they gave him a moment towards the end of, of his last show. I think it was Thursday night. And he was there. Uh, and he, he starts talking about what the show has meant to him. Uh, and as he went through, it, it was amazing how emotional he got as he started thinking through. And he talked about what was important to him. And what was interesting is he could have talked about, you know, the money he made. He could have talked about the, the fam- all the famous people that he met. But the thing that he talked about most were the relationships that he'd built with the people around him, the relationships that he had with the people that he worked with. And he talked about how um, when his mom died the first year of the show, the, and then the very next year his dad died in the show, um, and then shortly after that his, his brother passed away, and he said, I, I don't have any family left. The people that I work with are my family. And so it's amazing to me to have these kind of relationships. And he said, you know, people have told me, just, just go on and start at a different uh, network. Just, just do the same thing you're doing at a different network. You still got it. You can still do it. And he says, I don't know those people. I don't have relationships with those, those people. I have relationships here. And he talked about how when somebody in the crew would get a new car, that they would celebrate that and, and that he would go and see their new houses. And, and uh, this is the second time he's kind of retired from the show. We won't get into that. But the first time he, he kind of had his last show, they brought out the 64 children that had been born over the 22 years that he'd been doing this show. And just, you know, he knew these people by name. He had relationships. And it was amazing to just be reminded how important relationships are, and to see someone who's got more money than I could ever hope to have. Uh, he's, he's met famous people. Uh, he's, ha- he's had all these opportunities that someone like me will never have, yet the most important thing to him were the relationships in his life. The most important thing were the relationships in his life. And so this morning, as we look at um, relationships of refuge, we're going we're gonna to see, uh, when we talk about relationships of refuge, we're talking about healthy relationships. I mean, that word refuge, to, it gives us the idea of safety and security. And I think all of us want to feel safe and secure in our relationships, in our marriages, with our, with our parents, with our kids, with, with our friends and our neighbors. We want to feel like there's a, a sense of safety and security, that, that those relationships are, are a place where we're built up and not torn down. Am I right? I mean... 
Does anybody feel that way? Like, we want these healthy relationships. And so this morning, we're going to look at what, what are some key factors, um, some key elements of healthy relationships, relationships of refuge. Before we dive into chapter 2, let's just be reminded of chapter 1. So uh, you have the story of Naomi is, is kind of the first main character that we really encounter. And she's living in Israel, in Bethlehem, the house of bread. During the time of the judges, which is a time of spiritual and moral decline in the nation of Israel, right? We talked about that key phrase that comes up over and over again in Judges that um, there was no king in Israel and everyone did as he saw fit or as uh, what was right in his own eyes. And so everyone is just kind of in chaos. There's no leader. No one's even following God. And then we get to this story. And we read that as part of that time, because they weren't following God, God sends uh, uh, a famine to the land, to where there's no food. There's no food, and people start to look elsewhere, outside of the promised land that God had given them. And so Elimelech, whose name means my God is king, takes his family from the promised land, from the house of bread, right? You'd think that that would be a good thing, being in the house of bread in a time of famine, but there's no food there, so he takes his family, and they go to Moab, who are some of the, the number one enemy, in, in, enemies, of the Israelites. So he goes and he takes his family from God's promised land into the land of his enemies where they're strangers and they're foreigners. And while they're there, Elimelech dies. But he has two sons. And his sons are there and they marry two Moabite women. One of them is named Ruth, who's named for this book, or this book is named after. And so they're there and then the, the husbands die, the sons of Naomi die. And so these three women are left without a way to provide for themselves because in these days, your, your kids and your grandkids were your social security. Like they were what you fell back on. If you didn't have a husband who was providing for you and you guys were saving up for the day when you could no longer uh, work, you know, that was kind of the idea that you would take care of yourself and when you could no longer take care of yourself, you'd live with your family. There was no social security. Nobody's taken you know, 30%, 15% of your paycheck. You, that was your responsibility. And so now these women have nothing. They couldn't just go out and say, you know what, I'll go back to school. I'll get, a, I'll, uh, get an education. I'll get a better job, and I'll provide for us. That wasn't really an option. And so they're left with nothing. And Naomi says, the only thing I know to do is to go back to the land of Israel where God is. I need to go back to my people and to my God. And they start heading back. And on the way, she turns to the two women and says, look, you guys are still young. You could still marry somebody else. Go back to your parents' home and find a new husband. It's better for you to be here. You, you're better off without me. And after three times, uh, one of the girls, Orpah, finally does go back. But Ruth says, I'm going with you. She says, you don't, you don't know this, but you need me. And I can see that, and so I'm going with you. And so we saw that when life gets hard, love makes the hard choice, Right? Ruth had to make the hard choice to leave her family, to leave her country, and to go with Naomi. And we saw that when life gets hard, love commits. Ruth makes that commitment. Verse, uh, uh, I think it's verse 12. She says, um, where you go, I will go. Where you live, I will live. Where you die, I will die. She says, I'm, I'm not leaving you. I'm going with you. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. And then she goes on. The last thing that we saw at the very end of that chapter, it says, it says this, um, that they returned. Uh, to Bethlehem, and it was the beginning of the barley harvest. And we saw that love hopes. There's this little glimmer of hope right at the end of chapter 1 that something's going to happen, that God is getting ready to do something. And so now we are in chapter 2 of the book of Ruth, verse 1. 
Here we go. Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side from the clan of Elimelech. That's her husband, a man of standing whose name was Boaz. And so let's stop right there. Before we go any further, we get introduced to this man named Boaz. Now, the important thing is that uh, we talked a little bit about leveret marriage last time, and and that's this uh, ancient practice of when the husband dies, then the brother-in-law would step in and provide the young wife with a son, with an heir, someone to be raised up and take care of, of her. Uh, it, was, it was a provision that was there so that these, these widows would have a way to be sustained, that they uh, wouldn't be forced into begging in poverty for their entire lives, but there would be some, uh, some way for them to be provided for. And it was also because the land rights were tied to the male heirs. And so we see that this, uh, this family member, this relative of Elimelech, again, there's that little bit of hope that maybe something's going to happen here. Right? If you know the story of Ruth, you know that something is going to happen. But maybe something's going to happen here. And what I love about, about how they introduce Boaz is they say that he's a man of standing. He's a man of standing. Now in the Hebrew, the phrase that's used there is used back in the book of Judges about uh, Gideon and about Jephthah. Now if you know the story of Gideon, you know that he goes and he defeats an army that's way bigger than, than the men he's with. God at one point says, you've got too many men, send some away, until he's got 300 men. Right? The movie 300, this is the original 300, way before that. And so Gideon goes off to battle, and it, at the end it talks about Gideon's mighty men of valor. And then Jephthah's called a mighty man of valor. That's the same phrase that's used here of Boaz. He's a mighty man of valor. He's a man of standing. That means that he was competent. He was efficient, and he was worthy of battle. All right, men, let me talk to you for just a minute. Because I want to ask you, when, when people around you talk about you, when people at work are, are in relationship with you, people that you have relationship with, do they look at you as a mighty man of valor? Do they look at you as someone who's competent, someone who's, who's efficient and, and ready for battle, right? Now, I'm not talking about physically ready for battle, although that doesn't hurt. We're going to see in a little bit that, that you know, there's this, this idea that, men, we should, be, we should be ready to go f- to provide and protect, protect for the people around us. But we see this idea in real life in the fact that there is spiritual warfare going around all around us. And are we ready as men are we mighty men of valor when it comes time for us to be capable and efficient and ready for battle, the spiritual warfare that's taking place all around us? Men, I want to challenge us. We need to be mighty men of valor. We need to be men of standing in our community so that when things happen, when our neighbors um, uh, are going through tough times, that we're the man of peace that they can come to and say, you know, we don't talk that often, but I know that you pray. Can you... Can you pray for my family about this? That's what it means to be a mighty man of valor when we're talking about the spiritual realm. What a great thing to have said about you, that he was, he was a man of standing. He was a, he was a mighty man of valor. And again, this, this sets him apart from the rest of the world around him. Remember, back, back to Judges, the time of the Judges. This is a dark spiritual time. And we see these characters that just stand out so brightly against this dark backdrop. Let's keep going. So we have Boaz introduced, and it says, And Ruth, a Moabitess, said to Naomi, Let, What does she say? What are these first three words that Ruth says? In quote, she says what? Let me go. Let me go to the fields and pick up leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I may find favor. 
And then Naomi says to her, go ahead, my daughter. Uh, interesting thing about this, I was reading a little bit about this this week, and um, what, what we see here is this is, uh, they didn't have welfare in the Old Testament. They had workfare, right? They didn't have welfare, they had workfare. So there are provisions, if you go back to the law in Deuteronomy and Leviticus 19, that when you would glean, when you would harvest your field, you were supposed to leave some behind for the orphans and the widows and the poor so that those that were capable could go out and they could have food. They would have a way to feed themselves. You didn't just sit there and wait for someone to feed you. You took it upon yourself. You took the initiative to go out and you would gather for yourself. And, they, and this, is what, uh, this is how Ruth and Naomi are provided for. They're going out and Naomi's, uh, one, one commentator that I was reading was talking about this and basically the way that he interprets this is when Naomi says, go, my daughter, she, she kind of says it this way according to, to one scholar. He says, uh, it's kind of like, well, you better because no one else is coming for us, right? You, you better get out there and do something because nobody's going to bring it to us. So she takes the initiative. She's determined to provide for her family and she goes out and she begins gathering things in the field. She begins to gather some of the wheat, some of the barley behind the harvesters. And then it says, as it turned out, she found herself working in a field belonging to Boaz, who is from the clan of Elimelech. All right, so this is another key phrase. As it turned out, chance upon chance is how that literally translates. Chance upon chance. Now, sometimes I can tend to be a little bit sarcastic, uh, and, and i I kind of like sarcasm. It makes me laugh a little bit. But the funny thing is, is that from the, from the writer's perspective, he's being a little bit sarcastic here, right? He's being a little bit sarcastic. Like, lo and behold, she happened to end up in this field of Boaz, right? And he's pointing out to the reader that, you know, from a human perspective, she had no idea what was going on. But God is working behind the scenes. Let's see what, let's see what happens next. Verse 4 She's out there working in the field. She's working hard. And then it says, verse 4, Just then Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted his harvesters. Listen to the way he greets them. He says, The Lord be with you. Now listen to what they say to him. The Lord bless you, they called back. Think about that. Here is this man, this landowner who's there. And he has such a great relationship with the people that are working under him. And they have a great relationship with him. He is a man of standing, and he's leading these people that he works with to be in a, in a time of spiritual darkness. He's leading them into spiritual rightness. And he's saying, the Lord be with you. And they say, no, the Lord bless you. The Lord bless you, Boaz. Now, I know a lot of people, uh, they, they get to work, and maybe they oversee some people, and I don't think it's bless you that's coming out of their employee's mouth, right? There's something else that's coming out there. We want to be those people that have that standing, that have that right relationship with everyone around us, and that we're leading them, that they see us, that they see us leading them uh, in a way that when we say, the Lord be with you, the response is, the Lord bless you. He's setting an example as this mighty man of valor, and he notices. He notices something different. He sees Ruth working out in the field, and he asks the foreman, he says, who is that? Who's that new girl? Listen to what the foreman says. The foreman, verse 6, replied, she is the Moabitess who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, what does she say? Please what? Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. So she went in the field and has worked steadily from morning until now, except for a short rest in the shelter. Here's what we see this, this first thing from Ruth. Here's what we're going to see from Ruth about relationships 
of refuge, relationships of refuge take dedication, determination, and diligence. Dedication, determination, and diligence. We see that Ruth, back in, verse one, in chapter 1, she completely committed herself to Naomi, and she still continues to dedicate herself to Naomi. Think about what she says in, in verse 2. What does she say? She says, let me go. Let me go provide for us. Let me go provide some food for our family. I'm determined. I'm dedicated to you, and now I'm going to go do that. And then we see her determination. What does the man say? The, uh, the foreman says that she worked in the field. She hasn't stopped working except for a short break in the shelter. So she's out there in the field. It's hot. It's March, and she's working hard. She's gathering as much as she can because she knows that she's got to feed more than just herself. She's got to feed Naomi. And so she's gathering and working hard. She's determined. Funny thing about that word determined, another word for determined is valor. So we see that not only is Boaz a man of valor, but Ruth is a woman of valor. Ruth is a woman of valor. She's dedicated. And when I think about that, I think about Proverbs 31. We don't have time to go through that, but men and women, I want to encourage you both to, be re- to go back this week and read through Proverbs 31. And you'll have an idea of what, uh, what a woman of valor looks like, Right? All the different things that are listed there are amazing. Uh, It's just this great picture of what it means to be a woman. And if we're going to be in relationships of refuge, men, we need to be mighty men of valor. And women, we need to, you ought to be striving to be that Proverbs 31 woman. It's a great picture. I really encourage you to read it. And the last part of that is her diligence. She doesn't stop working. She keeps going. She keeps going. It's hot. She takes a short break so that she can gather her strength and get back out there. She's committed. She's ready to keep going. Let me ask you this. Uh, As far as your marriage is concerned, as far as your work relationships are concerned and and your neighbors, in those relationships, are are you showing dedication and determination and diligence? When When you have hard times come up in your marriage, are you showing that you're dedicated to that marriage? Are you determined for that marriage to be a marriage that honors God? And are you putting in the time and the effort that it takes for that marriage to be healthy, for that marriage to be a marriage of refuge. It takes dedication, determination, and and diligence. When it comes to your neighbors, do you go in your house and shut your garage door and stay inside all the time, or, or are you there ready to engage them, pursuing them, pursuing that relationship, getting to know their name, just saying, hey, how's it going? How are your kids? I know that I, I saw you guys headed for baseball practice. How did that go? I saw your son broke his arm. Man, I'm praying for his healing. I, I'm praying that it gets better soon. Are you pursuing that with dedication, determination, and, detil- and diligence? Let's keep going. So the next thing we see is, is it goes to Boaz, and so Boaz comes to Ruth. He sees everything that she's doing. He takes notice of her. He takes notice that, man, the word around town has gotten out about Ruth, that she left her family, she left everything that she ever knew to come back and help provide for Naomi. She came back so that she could help Naomi. And let's see what what Boaz says in verse 8. So Boaz said to Ruth, My daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field. And don't go away from here. Stay here with my servant girls. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the girls. I've told the men not to touch you. And whenever you're thirsty, go and get something to drink. 
in the, at the water jars the men have filled. So remember, Israel is in a time of spiritual decline. Boaz is a man who's trying to lead his workplace. He's trying to lead everyone who works for him to be on a spiritually upward path. But he realizes that, man, this is still a hard time. So number one, she's different. She's Moabite. So it would be easy for the men to make fun of her, uh, to, to call her names, to treat her differently because she's a stranger, because she's a foreigner. Number two, she's a woman. It would be very easy, especially in this time of spiritual decline, for some of the men to try and take advantage of her. Since she's poor, she doesn't have an advocate. She doesn't have a husband or a father or a father-in-law to go and bring charges against these men that could possibly physically, uh, sexually, emotionally do harm to her. So we see that Boaz steps in and he says, look, you're in my field. I'm going to provide and protect you. I'm going to provide for you and I'm going to protect you. Let's keep going. Let's, let's look on at, at what happens. She bows down with her face to the ground. She's humbled by this. Like, why would someone take notice of me? And she exclaims, why have, why have I found such favor in your, not, in your eyes that you notice me a foreigner? Boaz goes on in verse 11. He says, I've been told all about what you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother in your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. This is the key verse. May the Lord repay you for what you've done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you've come to take refuge. And so Boaz recognizes that her presence there, her coming there, her identifying herself with the people and the God of Israel was God's provision. That was God's way of providing for her to to be safe, to have that refuge, that security. And he sees that she has taken hold of that and that she is one who's trying to represent that to the people around her. She's trying to provide that same sense of safety and security for Naomi. Uh, The amazing thing is, is that Ruth's reputation has gotten around town. Everyone knows about it. He says, I've heard about it. People are talking about you. They can't believe it. They can't believe it. In a day when nobody, even in Israel, God's chosen people, chooses to live this way, Ruth is living this out. She's living out the commands that God has called his people to. And the word gets around town. So Boaz says, look, because of your reputation, you should be repaid and rewarded with the refuge that God is providing you. And he says, I'm going to do my part, and I'm going to help provide that. What we see here is that Boaz is generous in his relationship. Relationships of refuge are generous. They're generous. They give more than they take. When I think about this, I think about Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, which, um, uh, which says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each one of you ought to look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. That's generosity. That's generosity. Paul there is talking about giving more than you get, that your relationships ought to be some that you're investing in, not because of what you get out of it, but what you can give to it. That's, that's what God does with us, isn't it? I mean, what, what does God really get from us that he, he couldn't get somewhere else? He, he pours himself into us so much so that he would send his own son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross so that we could spend eternity with him. We've got nothing to offer, but he's got everything to offer. 
And when we turn around and with our friends and our neighbors and our coworkers, we provide that same kind of relationship with them. We're giving them just a glimpse of what God has done for us. That's a great thing. Um, this last week, I had an opportunity uh, as part of a program I'm in uh, with the Georgetown Chamber of Commerce. I got to go and interview um, one of the provosts over at Southwestern University. And uh, it was interesting because we were kind of going through introductions and talking about his history, and, and he was talking about something. And I said, oh, yeah, my family and I do that. And um, he asked about my family, and so I told him, you know, we have two-year-old triplets. They're about to turn three. He goes, yeah, I've seen you around town. I've seen you at, at the Monument. I've seen you at HEB. And my first thought was, what did he see? <laughs> like, wh- what's my reputation? What's my reputation? Reputation is important, right? Our reputation matters. And what we want is we want to have this reputation that we're dedicated, that we're determined, that we're diligent, and that we're generous. That's what we want. We want to have that kind of reputation with the people around us. It's important, and it matters. I I want to go back to to talking about um, Boaz. And what we see in his generosity is his, his willingness to provide and protect for Ruth. Over and over again, it says that not only did he go to the foreman and say, you know, don't touch her, tell the men not to touch her. He goes to the men. Look at, I think it's in verse 13. Let's look here. He says, uh, skipping down, at mealtime, verse 14, he says to, to Ruth, he says, come over here and eat with us. And, and he takes some bread and she dips it in this wine vinegar. It was kind of a special treat um, that, that they wouldn't normally have. And when she sat down with the harvesters, He offered her some more roasted grain. She ate all she wanted and had some left over. As she got up to glean, so she's going back out in the field. Everyone else is still sitting there eating, enjoying their meal. Where does Ruth go? She goes back to work. She's showing her diligence, her determination, and her dedication to Naomi. As she goes back to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men. Even if she gathers among the sheaves, don't embarrass her. So he says, if she gets up to where you're gathering... Right? The law says she can follow along behind you and anything you drop or you miss, she can have it. But even if she's up with you and she's gathering right next to you, don't touch her. Don't say anything. Don't embarrass her. Right? He goes on. And he says, rather pull out some stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her. So he's saying anything that you pick, just drop a couple of them so that she'll have even more to take back because he knows. He knows that she's not just providing for herself. He's being generous in this. And he says... And then he goes on and he says, and don't rebuke her, right? So he's providing and protecting Ruth. Now, let me just say this, men, God has given us a position in our families. He has called us to be a provider and a protector of our spouse and of our children, right? We know that, right? Can we, can we all agree on that? That this is what God has called us to as men, to be provider and protector. And whether your wife admits it or not, she wants you to be the provider and protector. Now, I'm not talking about, you know, you've got to have this high-paying job. You've got to make more than your wife. That's not what we're talking about. There are lots of different ways to provide and protect for your family. Most importantly is spiritually. You go back to Adam and Eve and you see the breakdown of what happens when the man doesn't spiritually lead the wife, right? That is a, a, a big concern. In fact, I was, with, um, I was with my family yesterday and we have some extended family that uh, had some stuff going on and, and it was a really hard situation where the police ended up coming to the house and uh, it was just a, a difficult situation and I, I 
was trying to understand this because I grew up around some of this stuff, seeing it, and these are people that I love, and I just have never understood what happened. And so I asked my parents, like, was there something before I was born that happened that maybe caused all this, this animosity? And they said, you know, it really goes back to the fact that um, the patriarch of this family was never allowed and never took leadership in his household. He was never allowed to be the spiritual leader. The wife stepped in and took that role from him, and he never took it back. And so all this breakdown, there's four generations now where there's breakdown, all going back to that one process, to that one step. So men, we've got to step up. We've got to step up and be the protector and the providers for our wives. And, and yes, physically, right, if someone comes up to you and says, give me your wallet, don't throw your wife in front of you, right? So you want to physically protect your wife. God has given us, I, I just read an article this last week, talked about why men's nostrils are bigger. And it's not because we have bigger fingers. Uh, <laughs> men's, nostrils, <laughs> men's nostrils are bigger. Uh, this is all scientific stuff, but it goes back to at puberty, you take in more oxygen, and that's where your muscles are really developed. And so the more oxygen you take in, uh, that allows your muscles to be denser and stronger. And women just don't have that. They have smaller nostrils. Uh, and now I will say there are some women out there that I would not take on. Like, they scare me. Um, but it's, it's like scientific. Men are, are just, in general, stronger. And they're designed to be that way by God. Because we're to provide and protect, but there are other ways that we provide and protect. We need to provide that emotional support for our wives. We need to provide spiritually for our wives and for our children, right? We have a huge responsibility, and women, you need to allow your husbands to provide and protect, for, protect you. And that doesn't mean that women don't have an important role to play. So you go back to Genesis, and, and I know this is not in Ruth. We're getting, uh, this is just really important, though. If you go back to Genesis, you see that Adam is created, and then God says, I've created Eve, a helper for you. And a lot of times we look at that and we say, oh, she's a helper, like she needs to go clean the dishes or make me a sandwich or whatever. But that's not what is in view at all. You know who else is called a helper in Scripture? The Holy Spirit. Being a helper is, a, is an elevated position of prominence. Men and women have unique and distinct roles, but they complement each other. They work together. One is not higher than the other, right? They have to work together. And I I've, I've know there are a lot of women that just say, well, you don't know my husband. He just sits on the couch. He doesn't do anything. How could I possibly follow that? I could never follow that. So I'm going to take charge. When you do that, you cut them off at the knees. You've got to find a way to encourage them. You know, there, there are times when uh, I'm sitting on the couch. The kids are getting ready for bed. It's been a long day. I've been up since 4, 35 o'clock, and I just want to sit on the couch. And my wife will come in and say, we're going to go read the Bible. Would you like to come with us? And it's like, Oh, man, she's not nagging me. She, she generally, genuinely wants me to be there. She doesn't do it in a nagging way, but it's just kind of a gentle reminder that you're the spiritual leader. Will you come do this with us? There's no, like, you better come do this. You're supposed to be the spiritual leader. There's no attitude like that. It's a gentle reminder of my position. And some, most of the time, I step up. We've got to have that partnership. Women have to allow your husbands to lead. Husbands, you have to take that leadership. We've got to work together. If we're going to have healthy marriages, if we're going to have relationships of refuge, 
primary one of those being our marriage, we've got to learn to work together on this. Amen? Let's keep looking. Let's see what comes up next. Look with me at verses, uh, starting in verse 19. So Boaz gives, uh, gives the orders for her not to be harmed. Ruth continues gleaning until evening, and then she goes and she threshes out. So it's dark. She's been there since morning. Now it's dark. Now she goes to the threshing floor, and she threshes out all this wheat. And she comes walking home to Naomi uh, with anywhere from 30 to 50 pounds. It says uh, an ephah. We're not exactly sure. Some people say about 22 liters. Um, but it's about anywhere from 30 to 50 pounds of grain. That's a lot. She's carrying it all the way from out of town back into town. She comes in, and Naomi sees this, and she's like, this is not normal. Like, this is not normal gleaning. Something must have happened. Where'd you steal it from? No. Uh, so she says, uh, verse 18, she carried it back to town, and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gleaned. Ruth also brought out and gave to her what she had left over after she had eaten enough. All right, so not only is she going out, Busting her hump, trying to, trying to gather as much as she can to provide some meals. The food that was already cooked, she ate as much as she wanted, and then she saved some. Right? Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you ought to look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being God being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. That's our attitude, and that's what we see with Ruth. The whole time she's out there, she's thinking about Naomi. When she sits down to eat, she's thinking about Naomi. Let's keep going. Her mother-in-law asked her, where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law all about the one whose place she had been working. The name of the man I worked with today is Boaz, she said. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing kindness to the living and to the dead. All right, so, so Naomi recognizes that this man is not only showing kindness to her and Ruth, the living, but to their family, their dead family, that he is now stepping in and fulfilling the role that, that, that Ruth's dead husband would have would have fulfilled, and the role that Naomi's dead husband would have fulfilled, right? So he's taking on that responsibility when he doesn't have to. He doesn't have to, but he provides that. Let's keep going. Then it says, uh, the Lord bless him. He has not stopped showing kindness to the living and the dead. She added, this man is our close relative. He is one of our kinsmen redeemers. So now Naomi hears that name, and she goes, oh, yeah, Boaz, he's one of our kinsmen redeemers. So that Leverett marriage that we talked about where a, a close relative could marry the widow and provide a way for that name of the dead person to live on so that the property rights would remain in the family and the widows and the orphans would be taken care of. She says, that's him. He could possibly do that. Look, look at what she says next. Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, Ruth, it would be good for you, my daughter, to go with his girls because if in someone else's field, you might be harmed. So she knows Boaz's reputation again, that he's a man who's not going to let any harm to come to you. Naomi knows what a horrible time this is in the nation of Israel. People are getting mugged, people are getting shot. It is not a good thing. Uh, this is, 
This is, it'd be like living in Detroit, okay? So this is not a good place at the time. And she says, this is a safe place for you to go. Keep going there. Don't stop going there. And there's just this sense of joy that you see. If you remember back to chapter one, Naomi comes back to town. All the women gather around her and they say, Naomi, you're back. And she's, don't call me Naomi. Naomi means pleasant. Call me Mara. That means bitter because the Lord has made my life bitter. And what we see here is that relationships of refuge bring joy. Relationships of refuge bring joy. Naomi recognizes that Ruth has gone out and worked hard to provide for her, and that brings her joy. And she recognizes that Boaz has gone above and beyond to provide and protect for this, these two widows. And that brings her joy. That brings her joy. Do you bring joy to the people around you? When people see you coming, they're like, man, I can't wait to have that conversation. I can't wait to get to work on Monday, sit around the water cooler and talk to Jared. I can't wait to get to work on Monday and have lunch with Todd. Like, I just, they're such awesome guys. I love to hear their stories about what they do with their family. They just bring joy. They encourage me. They lift me up. Something that we kind of glanced over is that if you go back to what uh, Boaz Uh, says to Ruth, he encourages her, and then uh, she says this. She, uh, She goes on and says, you have given me comfort and have spoken kindly to your servant, though I have, though I do not have the standing of one of your servant girls. He encourages her. So far, Naomi hasn't given her any encouragement. The only thing she said to Ruth is like, well, I guess I can't stop you from coming with me. And then when Ruth says, I'm going to go glean, she's like, well, you better. Right? A lot of encouragement there. But we also see that Ruth doesn't have this attitude of entitlement. She's humbled by all of this. And she gets comforted. She gets that joy from Boaz. Such an amazing thing. Such an amazing thing. Now here's our bonus point. Here's our bonus point. The ultimate relationship of refuge is found in God's presence and provision. The ultimate relationship of refuge is found in God's presence and provision, right? So go back to verse 12 where Boaz says, uh, may you be richly, re- uh, richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you've come to take refuge. He doesn't say under my wing. He doesn't say, don't worry, I, don't worry, babe, I got you. He says, you've come under God's wing. You've come under God's protection. Remember in verse 3, it says, chance upon chance, she happened to show up. Lo and behold, she happened to show up. It just so happened that she ended up in Boaz's field. It just so happened that Boaz came to the field that day. It just so happened that she took a break the same time Boaz was eating lunch. All of these things just so happened. This was God's provision. The author is showing God's presence in the lives of Ruth and Naomi and Boaz. You go back to chapter 1. What does Naomi say? She says, the Lord has caused this. The Almighty, El Shaddai, the the All-Powerful has caused this. The Lord has stricken me. The Lord has made me bitter. Right? Even though she's, she's struggling with it, she's having a hard time with it, Naomi knows that God is present in her life. And now she begins to see that God is providing the ultimate relationship of refuge is found in God's presence and provision, and that happens through a relationship with Jesus Christ. That is, that is the number one step that you can take to, to find that relationship of refuge. 
And it's re- honestly, I believe this. It's only when you have that relationship that you can go out and have these other relationships of refuge. Because we can, it's only through that relationship that we're able to mirror that, right? We can try hard. We can be good people and we can be nice up to a point. But it's only when we're able to mirror what Jesus Christ has done for us that we can truly have that relationship of refuge, those healthy, God-honoring relationships. This last week, uh, some of you will remember I've done this before, but this last week I went to uh, Chianfrani Coffee Shop. I worked there a lot. I don't have an office. I work from home. We have three, uh, almost three-year-olds, so it's not exactly the most quiet place. Um, but I go there, and I, and I do a little bit of work, and I like to just start conversations with people. It's a great way to just find out where people are and, and uh, find out more about them, what they think. And so I put this question out. Just as I was working, doing some reading, it says, what are some keys to building and maintaining healthy relationships? And these are people from all different backgrounds. There are people that are uh, on the higher end of the age spectrum, and, and I actually came across some boys uh, that are in high school, some high school seniors. And I got to talk to them, and, and we talked about these different keys. And a lot of this stuff that we're talking about, people who don't even know God, they don't know Jesus Christ. One, one woman, she's older, uh, she just lost her husband. She says, you know, I'm an atheist. And I'm like, that's okay, you, you probably still have an opinion. And we, and we talked about it. Uh, and she said, you know, my husband just died. We were married for 40 years. He's over 90 years old, and, and he just died. Um, we never learned to fight fair. Like, we never learned how to have an argument, how to, how to do that in a, in a good way in 40 years of marriage. And she said, you know, I think, um, you know, I think if it weren't for our commitment to each other, we probably would have just walked away from that. And so even the people around us, they see these things. And honestly, I'd already written this, but almost word for word, at some point, someone would throw out a word like, like commitment, throw out a word like diligence, hard work. They would throw out joy. They would throw out all these different things that we see in this passage. The world around us is hungry for those relationships. We have the great honor, privilege, and responsibility to mirror our relationship with God to them and provide those relationships of refuge for them. Let's be a people that have those relationships of refuge, those healthy, God-honoring relationships. Will you pray with me? Father, we just thank you so much uh, for today, Lord, that we have opportunities to, to invest in the relationships around us because you have invested in us. Lord, we pray that you'd be with us as we uh, go out this week, that we would be dedicated, determined, and diligent in our marriages, in our households, in our workplaces, and with our neighbors. Lord, we, we pray that, that you would allow us to be generous with our time, with our emotions, and with our treasures and our possessions. And God, we, we pray that, that you would allow all of our relationships to bring us joy and for our friendships and our relationships to bring joy into the lives of others so that we can show them, that we can show them the, the one true relationship that will bring them provision, that will bring them peace, that relationship with God that begins through faith in Jesus Christ. We ask all this in your son's name. Amen.